Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me as always is Aaron Miller. We're recording this episode a little later than we usually do. I was traveling late last week and it just wasn't going to be possible for us to record on Thursday or Friday like we usually do. And so we're recording this first thing on Monday morning and we're trying to get it up as quick as possible after that uh, so that you can have it for your week. Our main focus is going to be on earnings. Well, our entire focus will be on earnings, but our main focus will be on Apple's earnings from last week. But we'll also talk for a few minutes at the end about Facebook's earnings. Uh, as we often do, we'll do a, a sort of deeper dive on Apple earnings and take 20-something minutes to talk about those. And then, as I say, just the last few minutes on Facebook's earnings, just a couple of specific points that we wanted to pick up on there. Uh, with regard to Apple's earnings, we're going to go through them in order um, of revenue by segment. So we'll talk about each of the segments in order in terms of how big they were for Apple uh, in this quarter. This is the fourth quarter of Apple's fiscal year. Um, third calendar quarter, which is probably how we'll mostly refer to it as Q3. Uh, so we'll start with the iPhone. We'll talk about services, Mac, iPad, and then other products. And we'll filter in various things as we go as well uh, that don't relate specifically to a segment, but perhaps have some connection to it. So we'll kick off with the iPhone. Uh, Aaron, any kind of thoughts off the top with uh, regard to the iPhone segment specifically? Uh, just a few. One is that the iPhone 8 negativity that was bouncing around, that, for example, the iPhone 7 was the highest selling uh, in the iPhone line after the iPhone 8 launch, and, uh, and a lot of the negativity surrounding it all seems to be kind of nonsense, and it didn't materialize. I mean, the, the 8 was a great seller, and if the 8 had been the only phone new phone launch, the 8 and 8 Plus, um, nobody would look at this past quarter to think that anything had gone wrong. Right. That, that's mm. the thing that really stands out to me. And granted, mm. it's because the, 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 you know, Apple always announces and launches these new iPhones toward the end of the quarter. And so it's really just about, you know, 10 or so days worth of sales. Right. But, uh, but even then it did great. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, it was, it was interesting to see, a return to growth for the iPhone in, in China, which there were some hints of that over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think Canalis, specifically one of the analyst firms, uh, said that they saw really strong growth for Apple in China in Q3, kind of building up to the launch, which was kind of interesting. I don't know if that was about pricing and discounting uh, there or just kind of the general momentum that's been building there for a while. And it's worth remembering that the greater China region for Apple includes Hong Kong, which has had some funny headwinds going on, uh, Taiwan, as well as uh, People's Republic of China. Uh, Hong Kong's been a drag because there's a lot of people who go into Hong Kong, buy iPhones, and then export them outside of uh, the greater China region. And that's really been down quite a bit over the last year. It's been a drag on the performance of the greater China region. Uh, but they really talked on the call about how uh, iPhone sales have been very strong in, in the People's Republic of China specifically. Um, but yeah, you know, really decent growth. It's not enormous. I think 3% growth um, at roughly consistent ASPs to last year. And, you know, given that they raised prices, the fact that ASPs didn't go up much does seem to be a bit of a suggestion that uh, some uh, there's been a bit of a mixed shift in terms of people who normally buy the highest end uh, new iPhones probably waiting for the iPhone 10, and therefore the people that are buying the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus this time around aren't directly comparable to the people, or at least what they're looking for in the phone compared to last year. So they've probably got more people buying the base tier of storage, which of course now is higher at 64 gigabytes, uh, rather than going with the higher storage tiers. And uh, that's probably kind of brought ASP down a little bit. I would still guess that despite the commentary about the iPhone 8 models being the best-selling models throughout the period, uh, that 
there was more of a mix of older iPhones in there as well, given that, again, people who tend to buy the very newest thing probably largely hold or holding off to at least have a look at the iPhone 10 and hopefully buy it as well uh, if they could get hold of one. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, fascinating to you on the call to just see how many different ways analysts could think of to ask about mix between <laughs> iPhone 8 yeah. and 10 and no, really supply true. and demand. And Tim Cook made very clear off the bat with the very first question, I'm not going to answer any of these questions, but you know, this is financial analysts for you. They look for every possible way to try to get at some of these numbers and some of the answers that they're looking for. Um, you can see why they're so concerned about mix, though, because this is such a unique situation. No, it's a lot harder yeah. to do a, a robust analysis on the, you know, on Apple's financial prospects because yeah. this is so weird having the iPhone 10 and the 8 and 8 Plus, Plus launching during the same window. Right. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. Um, and I think you know, if you go to the guidance, for example, uh, which isn't specific to the iPhone but clearly heavily driven by the iPhone, uh, you know, that was. I think the single biggest number I was looking for, I figured they you know, hit their guidance for the September quarter, but the bigger question to my mind was what does the guidance look like for the December quarter? Because I think that's a big signal right. in terms of what they were expecting in terms of supply for the iPhone 10, in terms of mix between the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8 models and so on. And it's absolutely monster guidance. So it's very, very high guidance. And you know, worth noting that um, the September quarter and the December quarter um, well, the December quarter specifically has has operated within a pretty narrow range from a revenue perspective. Even as Apple's gone through these big swings up and down, or rather down and then up, over the last couple of years, the December quarter has actually been fairly consistent at somewhere in the sort of high 70s billions uh, for revenue for the last three years, and their guidance is now in the high 80s. So big jump uh, in in what they're predicting. So it's going to be an absolutely massive quarter. That, in turn, to my mind, suggests they expect to sell a lot of iPhone 10 units. Obviously, some of those have been sold already at this point. They were just starting to sell them during the earnings call itself when they were going on sale in Australia, for example, uh, but clearly predicting a very big uh, iPhone 10 quarter. But I think one other thing that's worth noting, and this is something I picked up on last quarter as I was going through some of my charts and numbers and things, from 2012 to earlier this year, every quarter, if you stripped iPhone out of Apple's results, uh, they operated with a very narrow revenue band. So it was somewhere between 75 and, I think, 82 billion dollars uh, every quarter if you took Apple minus the iPhone for revenue. So the rest of the business was basically flat. You had little ups and downs quarter by quarter, but it was very flat for five years. Um, and what's notable is that in Q2, they hit the very upper end of that band that they'd been at, uh, at a level they hadn't been at since 2012. And then this quarter, they absolutely busted through that ceiling on that band uh, that I had drawn. So then the high 80s uh, billions for the uh, for trailing four quarter revenues without the iPhone, um, and uh, and so I think you know the outlook and the guidance and so on. It's very easy to say this is just about the iPhone and the iPhone 10, but the reality is the rest of the business outside of the iPhone is now growing again. You know, you had the iPad acting as a drag and effectively offsetting whatever growth there was on the Mac. Mac, of course, was in decline for a while as well. Other products kind of had some ups and downs with the uh, cycle for the Apple Watch shifting around. You know, we're now in a trajectory where the Apple Watch is growing, the iPad is growing, uh, the Mac is growing, the iPhone is obviously growing. And so all of those things together are also contributing. And services, I should mention, we'll talk about that in detail in a minute, but service is also a big growth driver. And so they're now kind of busting out of that fairly flat trajectory they've been in for the last five years, um, ex-iPhone, uh, and now finding significant growth in the rest of the business too. And that that's going to help drive that big quarter for the December quarter as well. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, and it also gives them great prospects in the long run. I, the iPhone 10 launch with the, all the new technologies embedded, the OLED screen in particular and Face ID are the two that are really standing out. Point to uh, more uh, uh, product upgrades um, in the near future. I mean, so the iPad is obviously going to get an overhaul at some point, probably integrating Face ID and then potentially an OLED screen, although I don't know how different or how much harder it will be to do it at that size. But the point is, that's coming, right? And and that means iPad, which has returned to growth now, and I think is probably going to stay that way for a little while, um, it, you know, is going to also benefit from next year or within the next two years, seeing a whole nother round of upgrades related to these iPhone 10 technologies that are going to spill over. I think people are wondering also if Face ID is going to end up in the Mac, um, and uh, and so they're yeah the, the iPhone 10 is pointing to all kinds of opportunities leading into the future um, that Apple will be riding for at least two more years yeah and so I, I think yeah I think revenue growth is it, it, it I think this is going to be the super cycle that's going to spill out more than it's more than it's going to be more than just an iPhone super cycle right. I think it's going to be a super cycle across all their product lines yeah no that's a good point. Well, let's talk about some of the other product lines and at least some of their other reporting uh, segments by product. And actually, services was the second biggest segment uh, this time around. So bigger than Mac, bigger than iPad by a long way at this point. Um, and you know, there's a one-off that we still don't know a lot about in there. So $640 million benefit from some new information, apparently, that caused them to adjust the way that they re record revenue. And we don't know. They didn't. Uh, nobody asked about it, bafflingly, on the earnings call because it seemed like a pretty important thing to ask about. Yeah. And I, th I was kind of thinking, well, in the 10K, we'll probably explain it, but there's absolutely nothing additionally in the 10K either. So something of a mystery. I think a lot of us probably think it's something to do with the Google relationship. And maybe Google said, actually, we made a mistake and we realized that we had more traffic than we thought and you know, we owe you some extra money or whatever. But uh, you know, no idea what that is. Um, you know, maybe it's Apple Care Plus. Maybe they reevaluated. Um, how much they actually end up paying out on Apple Care Plus, and so they change the way they report, rev they record revenue for that, maybe. Um, but yeah, we we just don't know what that was. But even aside from that, services had twenty four percent underlying uh, revenue growth, which is really fast. It was their best growth in the past fiscal year, uh, and really strong, and driven by several different things. So the, the App Store, as always, big driver there. Um, and subscriptions a big component there. So they talked about more growth in the number of subscriptions that Apple processes, both on its own behalf and on behalf of others. Uh, you had iCloud, really strong uh, growth there in terms of both usage and revenue growth. Uh, and you had music as well. So Apple Music has obviously been growing right from the start, but uh, for the beginning part of its life, it was still only partially offsetting the decline in legacy iTunes music downloads. But they're saying at this point, the music business as a whole, including iTunes, is now growing. So got several things that are now growing in that services business and really hoping it helping it to, to grow overall and having a, a record quarter there um, yet again you know they seem to say that almost every quarter that they had a record quarter for services but that seems to be a, a fairly consistent pattern and it's a steady growth rate and so I think they'll keep on I mean this isn't like a huge spike in growth like you saw when the iPad launched for example this is a pretty steady steady hike each time that the, that the that services revenue is growing and so I suspect they'll keep saying that it's a record quarter for 
for many, many quarters to come. And plus, it's not all that seasonal, right? I mean, it, it's, it, it doesn't shift. It doesn't swing wildly like the iPhone revenue does based on a holiday quarter. So, yeah, in fact, um, so uh, not long ago, Apple uh, in an earnings call said that they set a goal to double services revenue by 2020. At the time, you and I were kind of speculating. I remember saying that I didn't see how that could happen without some sort of TV product tv service coming mm -hmm. along with it because i didn't see them getting to a double a services revenue in that short of a time frame without adding something new to the services mix and yet here they are chunking away at it and so over at six colors um uh you know it's pointed out that uh that for fiscal 2016 they were at 24 billion in services and now for 2017 which they just wrapped up um they're at 30 billion so that's a six billion dollar growth um, over one year and uh, that's you know they have three more years to hit the doubling and if they were to do you know it, it basically if they were to keep growing by six billion a year for three more years they would hit that goal exactly right um, the idea that they'll only grow by six billion a year over the next three years doesn't seem reasonable so I think they're going to beat the goal and it just points to how how remarkably precise apple is with its guidance in mm -hmm. this case even four years into the future it just looks like they're you know they 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 tend to i guess i say accurate but the reality is they always tend to underestimate in their guidance and just a tiny bit and mm -hmm. and uh it looks like they're capable of doing that even four years out into the future which is right. remarkable for any business but uh, especially yeah. one this big yeah no no it's it's pretty amazing to see kind of how the the various segments of the business have all kind of swung to growth and this kind of goes to your point that you were making just now about the super cycle going beyond just the iphone but it feels like you know not only was the iphone in decline for a while but the ipad was in decline the mac was in decline services obviously never went into decline but other products was in decline for a while and yet now you've had you know all of those returning to growth and all of those in turn are drivers of service revenues as well you know whether it's apple care plus right. that people attach to products whether it's apps people buy from the app stores as a result of buying new uh, hardware products, whether it's you know Apple Music and other subscriptions that are driven by owning more Apple products, you know all of these things are, are healthy drivers of that services business. But yeah, it seems to be growing at a very healthy clip at the moment, driven by you know really sort of strong trends in in a lot of those different components within there. And as you point out, they seem to be on the right trajectory for getting to that uh, goal that they set for doubling the services business between fiscal 2016 and 2020. Let's talk about the Mac briefly. Um, the Mac had a record year, um, they said on the earnings call, um, and uh, you know that's pretty remarkable for a product that's as mature as the Mac is, and in a market that has been broadly in decline. Um, if you look at the broader PC market, and so uh, you know clearly the um, the new MacBook Pros that came out a little over a year ago now have helped a great deal. ASPs have been up by one to two hundred dollars year on year. Um, you know, so they're in the thirteen hundred dollar range. That certainly helped on the revenue side, but unit growth has been really strong too. And they talked about specific markets where they've grown very significantly uh, in with the Mac over the past uh, few quarters and so on, uh, including you know some uh, some markets where you might not expect them to. Um, so that's been really impressive as well. Yeah, and uh, you know there's been a lot of angst about the MacBook Pros. Um, and the big changes that were made with that specifically the, you know, the, the, the all in commitment to Thunderbolt three and USB-C connectors and, and, uh, the touch bar as well. Um, that hasn't seemed to slow it down at all. 
I mean, it seems right. like the, the new format has been, because obviously that pushes up ASPs, you know, when a bunch of people are buying these new MacBook Pros and uh, and therefore also pushes up revenue. And that's, it, it seems to be doing, I think, better than a lot of naysayers thought it would um, and a sustainable format change. You know, it's interesting because we still haven't even seen the iMac Pro launch. And I'm really curious to see what demand for that is going to be because you'll have a lot of Mac faithful with big budgets that are going to be buying a lot of those, I think. Um, so there's still a lot of room for innovation and growth in the Mac platform. And so um, hardware-wise, I mean. And and, uh, and and so it's going to be interesting to see how that keeps growing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, they obviously did have some other new Macs over the last few months as well. And then back to school season and everything else. And they seem to be selling very well there, as they always do. But you know, really remarkably healthy, as I say, given the overall sort of market context, given the maturity of it, given the iPad Pro and all the messaging around that and so on. And, you know, it's still chugging away and, and doing very well for them at this point and, and still their third largest segment, so significantly larger than the iPad in terms of revenue. Um, let's talk about the iPad then because this was the second uh, quarter in the row of really uh, strong unit shipment growth for the iPad as well off the back of the new cheaper kind of core iPad model as well as then... Uh, the new iPad Pro at the slightly larger size um, screen and uh, everything that's kind of come with that. And there's really been this sort of renaissance for the iPad over the last couple of quarters. And, you know, it's funny, I, a few years back, I sort of said, you know, at some point we're going to see a return to growth in the iPad line because of the installed base and upgrades and all the rest of it. And yet it never emerged, basically. And I'd basically given up on that idea at <laughs> the point that Apple finally <laughs> did return to iPad growth. And, and the, you know, the key is that, yes, that's, Part of what you know, I predicted has come to pass, which is that people had them, did eventually need to upgrade them. But you know, two major drivers over the last couple of quarters are the iPad Pro is becoming something different from what the iPad originally was, and that's really driving new people to consider them for new purposes. You know, I think the original line of iPads largely used probably in personal use for consumption of video and things like that. Yes, there was obviously some creation going on there too. That wasn't the main reason people bought them, and, and for a lot of things that people want to. Uh, use them for for work that weren't really ideally suited at that point um, but the other one is certainly the lower price you know the 300 and something dollar price depending on who you, which retailer you go to and what discounts are available right now uh, you know for the core iPad now there's a very compelling price point for somebody who's looking to upgrade from an iPad that's getting really old at this point and needs replacing and so you know those two things together really seem to have driven some decent growth for them there. I agree and I think the first one was accentuated especially by the iOS 11 upgrades to the mm -hmm. iPad because it yeah. created a feeling that this was much more of a primary, a potentially primary device for a lot of people. And so that, I, I think that coupled with the product mix that's changed and, and the cheap, the cheaper, you know, entry level iPad and the features of the iPad Pro making it more distinctive, all that created a situation where there finally was a reason for people to upgrade. Like you said, if you know, before if most people were using their iPads to just browse the web, check email, watch videos, um, maybe play games, there there hadn't been for multiple years uh, an iPad sort of uh, proposition that made a, an upgrade feel uh, compelling. In part because these are last these devices are lasting a long time and holding up well and continue mm -hmm. to get iOS upgrades and. And so finally, Apple sort of figured out a way to get all those people moving and, uh, and, and, and saying, you know what, this, there is a new iPad now that truly feels new. That's mm -hmm. not just slightly faster mm -hmm. than the one I had before. 
and the, there's actually a new value proposition available that that's motivating upgrades. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's a big part of the, the driver there. And what's interesting is iPad uh, iPad sales have obviously been down, but broader tablet market sales have been down too. This is, a, again, like the Mac, it's in a declining category, although tablets are actually declining much more quickly in terms of unit sales. Uh, but the fascinating thing is if you look at statistics on how many people own a tablet, that number has continued to go up, and that's been kind of the single biggest driver of my perception that we would eventually see a return to shipment growth because at some point that kind of bottoms out and you have a replacement cycle um, because people aren't abandoning these things. They still have them. They're just lasting a really long time uh, and people are waiting for some sort of compelling reason to upgrade, whether that's just their device getting so old that it doesn't work anymore or it's broken or there's a new price point or, to your point, a new value proposition, something that they couldn't do before that, that justifies getting a new one. And I think we're, we're finally in that cycle now with yeah. the iPad. Uh, let's talk briefly about other products. And this is obviously a, a funny mishmash category. You've got all kinds of things in here. You've got all the old accessories business, the Beats uh, headphone sales. You've got Apple Watch is obviously a huge component of that now. You've got the Apple TV, including the new uh, Apple TV 4K in there. You've got AirPods in there as well. And, and now Apple refers to uh, the Apple Watch and AirPods combined as its wearables business, for example, and some uh, references to that on the earnings call. So you know, got a lot of different moving parts in there, but that's been another product line, another segment that's grown quite strongly, um, driven largely by, I think, the Apple Watch and AirPods, uh, to a lesser extent, I think, by other sort of accessories and headphones and things like that. But, um, you know, this continues to be a very strong business, you know, a third uh, consecutive quarter of 50% uh, plus unit growth for the Apple Watch. So, you know, really strong growth, even in the quarter coming into the new product launch with the new products available just right at the end of the quarter. Uh, so, you know, ongoing signs that the Apple Watch continues to perform well and be very healthy, and, you know, for all, again, the naysaying about all of this stuff, um, you know, people clearly, new people clearly seeing a, a value proposition in the Apple Watch with GPS added last year, LTE added this year. Um, you know, I, I uh, sort of a, a brief aside here, I kind of tweeted about getting my first AT&T bill, uh, which included the Apple Watch subscription that I have and being charged a total of about $53.00. Uh, for Yikes. what is on on the face of it a ten dollar a month subscription, and you know dig into it, and then you find that there's a twenty five dollar activation fee in there. I was actually for some reason billed for a month and two thirds of usage, so seventeen dollars uh, of of actual sort of monthly fees in there. But then there's all the government fees and everything else that go with it too. And AT and T, like some of the other carriers, was offering sort of first three months free, quote unquote. And so I'm actually going to get billed back about fifty five dollars over the next. Uh, three months, but the point is, I was billed all of that up front. So if I hadn't remembered about that discount, or if I didn't, you know, never read about it in the first place, or anything, all I would have seen was this fifty-three dollar bill for something that was supposed to cost ten dollars, and I would have been pretty unhappy. And it was, I tweeted about this, and John Gruber and various other people latched onto it, and so I got a ton of responses from people, and some people saying T-Mobile and Verizon seem to be handling it better, whereas it truly is free; it's not billed in the first place, rather than being billed back. So they seem to be managing that in a more user-friendly way than AT&T is. The other problem is even though AT&T is going to bill back that $55, they're not going to bill me back all the fees and, and uh, stuff, the government fees and other regulatory stuff that you get billed based on the underlying bill. Uh, and so I'll still pay all of that stuff as if I had paid that for $55. So some niggles in there. But 
Anyway, that is, as I say, an aside, but interesting to sort of consider that Apple has no control over any of that. All they control is the hardware and which channels they sell through, and ultimately it's up to the carriers how they price it and then how they manage the billing. But I think Apple's going to want to get onto the carriers and kind of ensure that they do a slightly better job or a much better job with that going forward. Uh, but regardless, the hardware, uh, the underlying hardware seems to be selling very well. Yeah, I agree with all that. In fact, I'm surprised that Apple wasn't a little more aggressive with the carriers and the way that they chose to build the the LTE watch because it, there's so much of of the the value in this watch being tied to the carrier that you're using it with. And with the with the iPhone, it's all sort of been worked out and figured out, and everybody's accustomed to it. But this is a totally brand new category of product for people in terms of data connections. And uh, and I'm surprised Apple wasn't a little more aggressive and, and, you know, got all the carriers to agree to do it at, you know, five bucks a month, you know, or or something a little more consumer friendly. And maybe that will come um, in part because the carriers may find that a bunch of people are getting this watch and deciding not to activate it right. <laughs> because because it's not quite there as far as the amount of value. I mean, ten dollars a month, you have to be away. F- it, uh, to me, it feels like you got to be away from your phone a lot. Mm. To, to make it worth yeah. the extra 10 bucks a month plus taxes and fees and so forth. Yeah, no, it's, it's very much a sort of, for me, it's a just-in-case type thing. And $10, I can kind of justify that, but if it's going to be a lot more than that because of all the fees and everything else, then it starts to be less justifiable. So it is interesting. And another bit of feedback I got from people was that this is five pounds or euros in various European countries. So, um, yeah. you know, current exchange rates, that's not far off $5, as you were saying. So yeah. it's definitely cheaper in other countries. And, and in here in the US, it's in keeping with uh, what the carriers have charged for other connected devices. And people made the point, oh, well, this is just an extension of your iPhone. Well, the whole point is when you're using it by itself, it isn't. It does have its own connection. But um, it is a different kind of device from, uh, say, an iPad or something like that. You're certainly going to use a lot less data on it. Um, and the data is charged separately as part of a shared data plan. But still, um, certainly room for that to come down over time for the carriers certainly to manage the billing better. Yeah, um, I won't be surprised if we <clears throat> see someday carriers because there are going to be more of these like data-connected devices over time. And I won't be surprised to see carriers essentially saying, look, for this one flat rate, you can connect up to X number of devices, one of which is a smartphone, and then who knows what else. And it's just part of sort of a flat package that comes along with your with your plan so. yeah yeah no that makes sense and it's interesting actually i was at a conference last week with um wireless carriers and equipment vendors and others that supply them and uh, i was in a session that talked about consumer iot which you know i continue to hate the term internet of things i think it's right. horrible especially in the consumer market and certainly nobody should ever use it in consumer marketing but the point was uh the consensus that emerged from the session that I was in with these various representatives was we don't think there's going to be a consumer IoT market. In other words, um, we don't think we're going to be selling a lot of connections directly to consumers for other connected things. What we think will happen is we will sell connectivity to various other companies and they in turn will build connectivity into devices and services that they sell to consumers. So rather than paying $5 for yet another connected device in your life, you're going to be paying some amount up front to a company or paying for some kind of broader service. And kind of like the Kindle that has 3G, it'll just be baked into the service and you won't have an explicit relationship with the carrier. And so I think smartwatches are one of the very few, very small number of categories where consumers actually will have a direct carrier relationship around a connected device. But I think you're right. There won't, there will be more devices like this, but I think a lot of them will end up being built in other ways, which is kind of an interesting thing to watch hmm. over the next few years too. Yeah. 
Well, let's just talk. Uh, I think we'll wrap up the Apple portion there. Um, clearly, there is more we could talk about here, but we do try to keep this to about half an hour. Uh, but just talk briefly about Facebook's earnings, which were also reported last week. And, uh, you know, another sort of blowout set of earnings, you know, record profits and revenues by wide margins for them. Their first $5 billion operating profit quarter, you know, net margins of uh, high 40% range, which is a good 20 percentage points above uh, Microsoft, which is the next most profitable at that level uh, among the big six companies that I, I track in the consumer tech market. Um, so, you know, absolutely enormous quarter and, and particularly notable in the context of the fact that Facebook's been talking for the last year now about a coming slowdown in revenue growth because ad load is going to be saturated. And yet, you know, absolutely no sign of that yet. Um, the other big headline was kind of not directly related to past financials, but sort of the discussion of um, things that will change going forward. And last week also saw congressional hearings on the whole issue of Russian uh, influence and in political uh, system in the U.S. through online platforms of various kinds, of which Facebook is by far the largest. Uh, and we saw, on the one hand, these tech companies being, being very defensive about this stuff in front of Congress, and on the other hand, during the earnings call, Mark Zuckerberg announcing a big investment in what he called security, essentially hardening the platform and trying to protect it against this kind of influence. And that's going to cost a lot of money and materially impact profitability. So some big announcements around that. But Aaron, what was your take on all of this? Uh, it was the number. It was the growth in the number of advertisers. I think that was so fascinating. I th it, it seems like Facebook sort of hit its hit its threshold in terms of ad load. But now, what's happening next is that ad prices are going up, and so who knows when this is going to stop? I, I mean, more and more advertisers keep walking to Facebook, and they're figuring out how to advertise. And smaller advertisers are figuring that out. Like small and, and medium enterprises are, are advertising more on Facebook and also Instagram. Facebook now has something like 6 million advertisers. Um, uh, that's up from just 5 million earlier this year alone. So the number of advertisers coming to Facebook is growing like crazy. And and obviously, if ad load is capping out, that means the next thing to happen is, pe is uh, the bidding prices for these ads is going to keep going up. Right. And, uh, and I, I think we won't really know when any of that's going to level out until the number of advertisers levels out, because obviously with more competition for this ad space, prices have to go up, and that's who knows when that's going to stop. So, I, you know, it's funny because Facebook kept on warning about how Adlo was eventually going to level off, and they warned that, you know, their their growth rate was going to slow as a result of it. But it seems like everything just, all the growth just shifted from Adload into increasing prices. And so... Obviously, that has to end at some point, but I don't know when it's going to end yet. So that yeah. that was the one. That was, I think, one of the biggest things that stood out to me is because everybody, I think, was kind of hanging on for ad load to level off and then growth rate to slow down because of it. And uh, now that prices are going up, who knows how much longer it's going to grow? Can't go up forever, but uh, probably still going to go up for a little while. Yeah, no, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, the, the sort of underlying growth in the price per ad was somewhere in the sort of teen, uh, so single digits, I think, for a long time, and basically until the end of last year. And then right around the time that Facebook started talking about ad load saturating, that number just shot up through the roof. So it was, I think, Q4 last year, um, it was 4% year-on-year growth in the price per ad. Uh, Q1 this year, it was 14%. Uh, uh, in Q2, it was 24%. And then 
uh, for Q3, it was 35% growth in the price per ad. So that number's just shot through the roof, to your point, as the uh, number of ad impressions has stopped growing nearly as quickly as it had in the past. And so uh, there is that. And there's also the sort of counterbalancing effects of, you know, Instagram still has new places to put ads and so on. Messenger, they're going to start putting ads in there. WhatsApp, they're going to start putting ads in there. So there's new places that are separate from the core Facebook experience where they can still put new ads. Um, yeah. let's talk uh, two, two, just two yeah. other things I really quickly want to mention about that. One is Mary Meeker in her Internet Trends deck every year has always pointed out that the time spent on mobile versus the ad spend on mobile have often been pretty separate, mm. whereas the ad spend is a percentage of total. The ad spend on mobile has always been a lot less uh, as a, on a percentage basis than the amount of time people spend on mobile. This is the kind of thing that feels like it's going to catch that up, that prices are just going to go up, and that's where ad spend is going to go. Right. Um, but the other thing is, is you know, the, the kind of targeting you can do on Facebook that has, in fact, been controversial for political reasons in the past is maybe indicating that advertisers are finding a lot of value in this. And, uh, and so this, I don't think – the other thing I want to mention, I don't think this is just sort of like gold rush mentality, right, where everybody's sort uh-huh. of rushing in and advertising there because they feel like they're supposed to. I think they're actually finding value here. Right. No, I agreed. And I, I think uh, that's the point that Facebook repeatedly makes on its earnings calls, you know, is that they are getting better and better at helping advertisers to see how their money spent actually produces the results they want. So most advertisers will just, most advertising platforms will simply tell you, you spent this much, this is how many people saw your ad, or this is how many people clicked on your ad. And what Facebook's really been working on is this is how many people then went and made a purchase somewhere, or this is what that did to people's perception of your brand. You know, so giving you more data about the actual impact of the advertising rather than the the, the first order behavior that you see as a result, which is not that helpful in and of itself. Um, and so, yeah, they really are driving a lot of that. And so, to your point about you know Mary Meeker's uh, sort of misalignment of spend and time spent uh, around advertising. Yes, this is going to catch that number up, but the benefit of that will be very focused on just a couple of companies, basically Facebook and Google. Right. Uh, a very small percentage of the benefit will accrue to any other company. And, you know, Snap will get a small proportion of that. There'll be a few other bits and pieces. Amazon's going to be an interesting player in that going forward. Um, but so much of the benefit of that, that increase in pricing and, and spend on mobile is going to go to those two companies. And the dregs are going to go to a much larger number of companies that will each benefit a very small amount from that. Uh, it's worth talking briefly about that security spending. Um, and Aaron, I know you kind of had a point that you wanted to make about that too. Yeah, well, I, so it, it's a t- the total number of people that are going to be focused on this security issue is going to drawing to something like to uh, 20,000, I think. And mm-hmm. and whether that's a mix of employees or contractors, I don't know. But, but uh, it seems like a huge number of people to be focused on this. And then I have to pause and remind myself that, I, that Facebook has over 2 billion users. <laughs> So there's obviously a lot of stuff going out there, and, I, and then I also, and then I find myself wondering if twenty thousand is even close to enough. That's going to be a really fascinating problem for Facebook to have to tackle. I mean, I think the way you know that they're actually taking this seriously is the fact that it is that it played into their earnings call, and that this isn't just like a press thing, but this is actually you know they're talking to their investors about the financial commitment they're making to this space. So it's going to be interesting to watch that play out, but. Um, but uh, it sounds crazy expensive for yeah. them to actually warn about it in an earnings call. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to, to talk about materially impacting stuff, you know, bear in mind Oculus revenue from all their Rift devices has continually been described as non-material. 
So, you know, selling lots and lots of VR gear is non-material, but the investment they're going to make in this is going to have a material impact on their profits. So yeah. some context there, you know, this is clearly a significant investment. And those won't all be employees, obviously. They'll be contractors and so on. So uh, they won't show up in the employee numbers necessarily. But, you know, it's a significant investment. But to your point, you know, 20,000 compared to 2 billion, it's what, one moderator per 1 million users. Um, so, you know, still vast scale of activity. And they're, they're clearly going to use AI a great deal to help identify stuff as well. And they talked about that a lot on the call. But it's about AI and it's about people. It's not about a change in the business model because to the point we were just making, that business model is extraordinarily effective at generating massive profits for Facebook and they don't want to do anything to damage that. And so they're going to find every other way they can to mitigate the impact uh, of uh, that, you know, advertising by uh, foreign actors and so on. Uh, other than actually changing the business model, which would be the single most effective thing they could do, but would also be enormously uh, destructive to their core business at the same time. And so this is the great sort of paradox with Facebook, is that it's, it's the very way that their business works so well that makes the platform so effective for these uh, you know, Russian actors and others that have tried to interfere in various things because they have basically mastered those, you know, Russian intelligence services and so on have basically mastered what it takes to be successful on Facebook using all the same techniques that everybody else uses. And that's what's made their uh, small, relatively small amount of spending on Facebook so, so effective at reaching so many people. Yeah. All right, well, let's wrap up the episode there. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for bearing with us for another couple of days as we got this up a little later than usual. We will still hopefully have a new episode later this week as well. Um, so you'll get two this week um, for the for the usual price of one. Um, but uh, thanks for listening. We'll have a couple of little items in the show notes as well so you can go and read more about earnings and so on if you want to do that. Uh, but thanks very much for listening. Have a great week, and we'll be back hopefully later in the week with another episode. Thanks. Bye-bye.